Headquarters to all units. Headquarters to all units. All units stand by for on patrol with the PPD. Airing now on WTBR 89.7 FM. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here in WTBR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. My name is Mike Wynn. I am both one of the co-hosts and co-producers of this weekly radio program and the chief of police here in the city of Pittsfield. I'm joined in studio this morning by Lieutenant Gary Traversa, Cops Bureau Commander. Good morning, Lieutenant. Good morning, Chief. Good morning, everyone. Liking that new mask. Yeah, I'll show it off in a little while, too, if you like. We, uh, we've also got Smart Gary, IT specialist, Mr. Gary Munn, joining us in studio for the first time in a little while. Good to see you, Gary. Thanks for coming in. We have a special guest joining us shortly uh, to talk about the public health update and vaccination. But before we do that, let's get a check of the weather and a quick look at the news. <coughs> WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area, today, cloudy. Snow showers likely this morning, then a chance of rain or snow showers this afternoon. Snow accumulation around 10 inch. Highs in the upper 30s. South wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation 70%. Tonight, mostly cloudy in the evening, then becoming partly cloudy. Cold with lows around 20. West wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly sunny. Cold with highs in the lower 30s. West wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Again, good morning. Uh, I neglected in my intro to say that this is a new uh, February 5th, 2021 episode of On Patrol with the PPD. Um, Can I just officially say I am done with winter? That's it. Last week finished me. I'm done. I I don't care anymore. Um, That's all I'm going to say about that. So I don't want to delay the the public health update and the uh, conversation about the vaccines because that is definitely the most important news item. But I did want to quickly point out two items of interest from this morning's Berkshire Eagle, um, both of which are are germane to the type of programming we've been doing all year. And I think I'm going to start with the the less exciting and fun of the two. But if you looked at today's Eagle uh, front page, yet another Berkshire County resident has been identified connected and charged in connection with the uh, January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. This time, North Adams man arrested by the FBI, arrested without incident. Um, and you can read the article, but I just want to, uh, you know, for our listeners and viewers, I just want to say um, this is the third or fourth local person identified by our, our colleagues with the FBI out of the Springfield office, uh, particularly with the FBI's gang task force. Um, and and if you're if you don't get it, like you know, we sent them some intelligence packages early on, and they came right back. If the FBI wants you, they're going to find you, <laughs> no question. Sooner or later, they're going to come knocking. Um, just keep that in mind if you decide to do something 
unwise and ridiculous, particularly if you're going to do something unwise and ridiculous and post it on social media. And then the other story, also from today's uh, Eagle, and I had heard something about this earlier in the week, not in connection with local people, but this has a a local connection through Berkshire Medical Center. Two Berkshire Medical Center workers are going to be flown to Tampa to see the Super Bowl. Uh, I'm going to fly down with a a bunch of healthcare workers from New England uh, on the Patriots aircraft, and they'll be guests of the NFL. So that's pretty cool. Um, You can check out that article as well. Uh, nurse Kate Heath and um, housekeeper Dion Hamilton both headed to Tampa this weekend. So hopefully uh, they have a good time and enjoy a good game. That's nice. pretty cool. All right. So, Laura, thanks for zooming in this morning and joining us. I know there was a little confusion last night with who from public health was, was going to be represented and exactly how this was going to work. This is still new to us, actually, in, in bringing people in remotely for the weekly show. But thanks for coming in. And uh, just if you could give us a, a brief update on what's going on generally in public health, because I know that the restrictions are going to be eased uh, yep. next week. And then tell us how it's going out at the field house with the vaccination clinics. So, yeah, so we're starting to see some cases come down, um, whether that's just we reached a peak after the holiday, um, everybody getting together for the holidays and so on. And that's starting to ease up or whether, you know, vaccinations, even though it's still low. Um, the number of people who have gotten them, if that's starting to make a difference. But we are seeing to see, starting to see some signs of hope. Um, I don't want people to think that it's all over and we we need to continue to be careful and mask and social distance and all the rest of that for a while yet. Um, so that is good news. Um, the vaccinations are going great. We have three sites in Berkshire County, which most people probably know. Um, Northern Berkshire EMS up at uh, St. Elizabeth's and North Adams here at Berkshire Community College with the Pittsfield Health Department and the Berkshire Public Health Alliance and then Fairview Hospital down at um, WEB Dubois Middle School. Um, And we're all working together. This has been a great partnership effort with the uh, Berkshire Health Systems, the Berkshire County Boards of Health, um, CHP and a number of the other providers. We can't thank enough the Pittsfield Police Department who have been staffing the clinics out at BCC and um, doing traffic control and helping people and just kind of keeping everyone safe and uh, everyone else who's been involved. At some point, I can. it's just a huge list of people who who have partnered in making these clinics as successful as they've been. So I we talked about it a little bit last week um, when Dr. Kohlberg was here, and I know I think it was the week before that uh, Commonwealth's Department of Public Health had a quality control uh, staffer that attended one of our clinics and and kind of held up the model that had been put in place in Berkshire County, particularly the system that was in place at the field house. And I know that both the Lieutenant Governor and Secretary Sutters have referenced the the hard work and the collaboration that exists in Berkshire County, largely under your leadership, um, you know, that if if the rest of the Commonwealth got on board and did something similar, we could actually do this a lot quicker and a lot more efficiently in the Commonwealth. So I think there's a couple of things, and, and thank you for the kind words, but this is, like I said, been such a partnership effort. There are so many people that have worked to make this successful. Um, but I do think that the Berkshires are a little different. We're used to working together. We're used to working to, as a county. You know, when the Department of Public Health said, would you be able to do this? We said, yes. Like, there was no question. She said, do you have to go back and talk to anybody? And I said, no, 
we can do this. Um, and I don't think that, you know, my counterparts in other parts of the state can do that, can, can just say yes the second that they're asked if they want to do something like this without going back and talking to their partners. And, you know, it could have gone it could have gone sideways for me, but I was pretty sure that, you know, everybody would come together and make this happen. And that's exactly what's happened. You have um, to but, take you know, big risks. Do. Sorry. You have to take big risks to get big outcomes. Well, and, you know, we know out here that we're going to be the last to receive things normally if we don't do it ourselves or if we don't do part of it ourselves. And, you know, the state's been a great partner on this, too, in that they said, OK, great, you're willing to do this. You're doing this. You're the first ones to say you're doing this. You're the first ones to work with your hospital and be able to take Pfizer vaccine instead of Moderna. We're going to make that happen for you then. That's um, awesome. So, yeah, it, it, it's really been great. And it's really been heartwarming to see. And um, people are just so grateful when they come through the clinic at BCC and they get their vaccine and they can see some hope for the first time. Great, uh, great letters to the editor and commentary in the Eagle yesterday. Just, a, you know, a collection of letters basically saying that from the moment they arrived and cleared the, the traffic control point with the police officers to the navigators to the registration staff to the actual vaccinators and scribes to the people who signed them up for their second doses just so thankful that the system is in place and that it's working and and that it's working well and it's you know I think people are saying they were they were in and out in less than 20 minutes. And I know in yeah. our last vaccine planning meeting, we we're like, ah, this is a little older population, going to be mobility challenge. We might want to schedule 30, 35 minutes, not with the system you have in place. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really been working well. And, you know, the, the only time we see some lines is right when the clinics start. People all want to get there early. Everybody so wants I'm, to show I'm up really early. recommend anybody who's listening to this who hasn't been yet. Come when your appointment is scheduled. We will have you in and out. There is no reason to arrive early. The only thing that arriving early does is, is cause lines because the, 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 the process really, like Chief Wynn just said, the process really works. Um, and you, know, know. you have to stay for 15 minutes of observation afterwards or otherwise I think we'd have you in and out in about 10 minutes. I know Captain Grady was out on site um, setting up the traffic control points and coordinating the security for Tuesday's clinic, and he was out there a little bit early. Um, if, if memory, I think that was a that was a twelve to six thirty clinic, and he texted me in the office at about twenty of twelve. He's like, "People are showing up for two o'clock appointments." I'm like it's okay, Mike. It's going to be all right. We have the parking. You can send them to go get a coffee. Tell them to come back. We don't need them to be there two hours early. And as as Laura said, if if we can just get one message out, if you're signing up to go to these clinics in this phase, have faith and please don't show up too early. They're not going to let you in the building early. Uh, you know, it's ten or fifteen minutes before your appointment. You can get online, so it, you're. There's no point. If you do show up early, you're going to sit in your car, so bring a book. Exactly. Exactly. The other thing I would say to people is please wear, I know everybody's wearing layers. It's January. Like the chief said, we're all tired of winter. But please have that bottom layer be a short sleeve shirt or a loose fitting shirt so we can get to your upper arm because there is no privacy in the field house. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't out there, but I, um, I think it was Director Armstrong who said during last week's planning meeting that there, there was an uncomfortable amount of unintended exposures during one of the <laughs> clinics nobody the, the the vaccinators don't want to go through that if you're receiving the dose you don't want to go through that wear a short sleeve shirt 
<laughs> yes, please. Yeah. So, Laura, anything else you want to add about what's going on, um, you know, either at, at the vaccine sites or generally in public health? Can you give us a, or maybe a little bit about the change in the capacity limits that's going to be in effect? So I admit that I, I missed the, the DPH call yesterday. So I do know that they are loosening up on some of the capacity limits, but I don't have specifics at the moment. Okay. Um, but, you know, again, I, you know, I ask people to be careful and think about whether they really need to be in a crowd. Um, you know, we all want to support our restaurants um, and our businesses, but to the extent that you can do um, pickup or takeout, um, and, you know, go with people that you are in your family rather than having multiple families together. I really feel like we can see the end in sight. The end is not here yet, but the end is in sight with vaccination and the good treatments that we now have for people who get sick. And um, if people could just hold on for another few months just, um, and, yeah. and just just know that we're almost there. Um, you know, continue to wear a mask, continue to social distance. Hopefully by summer we'll be back to some semblance of, of normalcy. normalcy. So I did, and, go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and the other thing is that, you know, I want everybody to be patient. We're going through um, the priority groups really quickly. Um, your turn is going to come. Um, the priority groups were set based on who was most likely to die or have serious consequences from COVID. So this is why they were set and why we're so strict with them. Um, but we are going through the priority groups quickly in the Berkshires, thanks to the partnerships. Um, and we are going to get to all of you soon. We actually got into phase two a little bit earlier than the rest of the Commonwealth because yep. of the efficiency that you got through the phase one priority groups. Um, so just final thoughts here. I did catch the news cycle last evening. I don't have it in front of me, but I, I think the increase in, in capacity is from 25%, which it's been since the governor tightened it up going into the holidays to 40%. But I think it, that's right. But again, you know, do you really need to do that? I, I am somebody who during the slack period in the summer and fall, um, I really enjoyed going out to eat and, and my wife and I would go out as a couple and we thought we could do that safely. I, after what's happened in the last six weeks, I'm, I'm, I'm good with takeout. And I think today in particular, we have to say that Look, Sunday's the Super Bowl. It's a big yeah. game. People want to watch the game. They want to get together. They want to celebrate. Look, if you're going to do it, do it with your family unit. Do it with people who you live under the same roof with. Zoom, Skype, FaceTime with anybody else. If you start mixing those family groups, even right now, you know, this is, we saw it after Halloween. We saw it after Thanksgiving. We saw it after Christmas and New Year's. Please, please, please don't use Super Bowl Sunday as a foundation for another surge and uptick. No, nobody wants to go through that again. As, as Laura said, the end is in sight, but we have to stay smart and we have to stay safe. Yep. Yep. And, and, you know, if we have a lot of cases and we need to be doing all that contact tracing, that's going to slow down the vaccination efforts as well. So. That, yeah, that's a great point, because the 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 clinic leads, the the staff that's running the clinics were contact tracers prior to getting the vaccine. So they've pivoted. We don't want them to have to change their focus now. Yeah. Any final thoughts? No, I just thank everybody who's been careful. And um, again, I just want to thank, you know, all our volunteers and all our workers um, at all the clinics. It's, it's, it's really been a pleasure to work with everybody. And it's been it's been amazing to be able to participate in the vaccine planning um, in the vaccine planning team. I actually I was I was a little bit frustrated yesterday. I had an offline conversation with the mayor. Um, 
director Kerwood and I, and I, I believe Chief Simmons was also on it. We sat in on the um, FEMA briefing on mm. potential reimbursements through the federal government for the cost of the clinics. And we got some possibly really good news on that, that hopefully we can uh, get some stuff in place as early as next week so we can start to recapture some of that. Great. So we'll start working on that. And Laura, I just want to thank you for joining us this morning, despite the, the confusion and the late last minute Zoom link. No problem. Um, have a great day. Have a great weekend. And I'm sure I'll be seeing you in a Zoom meeting sometime in the near future. Great. Thanks so much, Chief. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Welcome back. It is 9.17. I do not like the placement of the new clock. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. But the clock is really The yeah. clock is awesome. The clock is awesome. I'm going to have to change the way we orient in this studio. All right, so that was a public health update and an update on the vaccination clinics. Um, Laura is um, humble. She, you know, she kind of, it, it certainly has been a team effort. That, that is absolutely true. And we're very excited and proud to be part of that team. But the team that did the planning for the vaccines, Laura pulled that team together. Um, and, and I'm honored to be able to participate in that and provide some support from our department in in any way um but the fact you know this this was reported in the news i think it was this week so we have the 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 berkshire county board of health association i, I think is if i got that wrong i'm sorry but there, so there's an, an alliance of the health directors or or health board of health chairs throughout the county um and they meet and they work on stuff regularly and they've been doing the pandemic planning i think i talked about it on a previous episode that in emergency management when you get together with the regional emergency planning council or whatever and you do exercises and you do drills for for most of my career those exercises drills and plans have been around some type of pandemic event H1N1, SARS, avian, right? And one of the reasons for that, I believe, is pandemic events require you to get the most teams at the table, right? You got to bring the most disparate areas of, of function together. So it serves as a good exercise. But I never thought, you know, I, I said it in a, in a um, newspaper interview this summer. I always participated in the pandemic exercises because... I thought it was good practice for the next big crime, the next big event. It never occurred to me that we would be taking all of those practice exercises and actually applying them from a public safety emergency management point of view. And yet, you know, here we are a year later. Um, and so the fact that the, the, the County Public Health Association, which and, you know, is kind of like the overarching umbrella and then the County Public Health Alliance, which is like the nurses within that whole group who kind of communicate amongst themselves, those those backbone organizations existed, and they had plenty of experience and practice working with the three regional emergency planning committees, the volunteers who, who regularly schedule that, and then liaison with, say, Western Mass Homeland Security Advisory. So that communication and that network existed. But the thing that amazed me and it's it wasn't it wasn't a heavy lift because the relationships were there this new vaccination collaborative that essentially gelled and formed last week 
was basically taking these two existing kind of backbone things that were there and adding Berkshire Health Systems to it and saying, these two existing things are going to be so much greater than the sum of their parts. And Laura alluded to it. The fact that Berkshire Health Systems readily agreed, seat at the table, they have the storage capacity, they have the infrastructure, they have the, the knowledge, skills, and expertise on the health side to be the depot and receive the doses and properly store the doses, and then using the existing infrastructure that the other parties had in place, get those doses out to the clinics and get doses in arms, that's miraculous. It's, it, you know, it can't be, the website stood up and it's like, oh yeah, you know, this is a cool website, go to there to get information. About. You can't, I can't overemphasize that wouldn't have happened and hasn't happened elsewhere in the Commonwealth. And we talk about it on, on, on patrol because, you know, we're law enforcement focused, but that network, that communication, that collaboration is the same thing that we talk about when we say we have a great working relationship with our counterparts from the state police, right? That's not a true statement for law enforcement all over the Commonwealth. Some, some places in the Commonwealth, local police and state police are like oil and water. That's not the case here. We have a great working relationship with our federal counterparts. We frequently do inter-jurisdictional, cross-jurisdictional joint operations because we have to. Because we're so far away from the state house, and it, Laura said, we're, you know, we're the last to get anything. We're we're often an afterthought. We have to build structures to take care of stuff ourselves. And it, I was I was amazed to see how rapidly public health essentially put in a mutual aid structure that mirrors what we do in public safety, right? Fire backfills each other all the time. We cover stations. We do mutual aid all the time. What public health did, and I'm not going to say it was new, but it certainly wasn't their normal operating sphere. And they stood it up quickly. No infighting, no, no egos. Just we have a mission. Let's get it done. It's pretty cool to have seen it and be seeing it, right? I, I was as you started that explanation. I was going to ask you what, what it like. What is different here than in other parts of the state? But I, I think you pretty much covered it. I mean, it's you know it comes down to the willingness to work together. I guess it, I don't know. It, it 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 goes beyond the willingness. It's it's the absolute necessity of working together, right? So if you're somewhere, we saw this. Um, we saw this earlier, or it, you know, earlier in 2020, when we were seeing some public disorder events pop up. Right? So, if you're in a community that maybe has a large state police barracks right there, and something occurs in your community, or you're close to GHQ, General Headquarters, or you're close to Boston, and you're in that community, and you have a small, mid-sized police department, but in the back of your mind, you know. Okay, you know, we have a plan, we have a back, backup plan, we have a contingency plan, but if all the plans fail, the state police will take care of it. Okay? And, and if that's your mindset, you're going to say, okay, the state police can take care of it. And as good as a, we have a relationship with our state police out here, we have small barracks and a small SPD, SPDU, and they have other responsibilities. And so while they provide resources when they can, when the Sheriff's Department provides resources when they can, we can't have a plan that says, 
if our plan fails, somebody else will take care of it. We have to have a plan somehow to take care of it. And I don't mm-hmm. care if that's doing drug work through the task force, the Berkshire County Law Enforcement Task Force, if it's tactical operations through the BCSRT, which is probably the longest lasting example of how we've managed to do that. Um, we, we are self-reliant out here because we don't know that the support is coming. When the support comes, great. We're happy for it, but that can't be our plan. Um, and that type of stuff that we do in law enforcement, fire service, of course, does that all the time. Um, I think that model of networking and relationship building and communication exists everywhere else as well. It's in public uh, services, you know, DPW, um, and this year, last year, we got to see it in public health. And I don't know that we've talked about this on the program. You see this, you know this, because you're, you know, when you were running the team, we would get these briefings. There are, so in the Berkshire County Law Enforcement Task Force, there are local police officers, and then, you know, our our investigative units are kind of collaterally assigned to them. There are state police officers, and, and they kind of run and fund the unit. And there are sheriffs, uh, sheriff's department, deputies, officers, and supervisors assigned. And when I took over the department, we did a lot of a lot of joint operations and a lot of mutual aid. But what I never saw prior to taking over the department, and I never anticipated seeing, was if we're doing a city of Pittsfield PPD search warrant operation, but for whatever reason, training, personal situation, a PPD supervisor might not be available at the at the time to execute the operation. They backfill with a state police supervisor or a Berkshire County Sheriff's Office supervisor. That doesn't happen everywhere, right? And once that changed and, and we were willing to say, okay, you know, boss is a boss, doesn't matter, you know, where the paycheck's coming from, the the more the more, more amazing step is it went the other way. Right. If the task force was executing an operation and something happened and the supervisor got pulled off in another direction, PPD supervisor would go supervise the operation. No way that happens elsewhere. Right. <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> For so sure. it, it's mission accomplishment. It's not about the the ego. It's not about the patch or the badge. It's about the mission. Um, and we're fortunate that that is the case. So. All right. We've been hammering this point. <clears throat> It's time to shift gears here. We only have a couple minutes left before the uh, before the station break. So, Gary, smart Gary, yes sir. Thanks for coming in today. Absolutely. We we were hoping that we might um, might see Officer Derby this morning, but he was out on a call as I was headed in here. Headed in here without incident. <laughs> doesn't happen nope. often. Does without it? <laughs> incident, right? Wasn't rushing. Just so. Um, Gary, you you've been busy. I mean, there's not a lot of like high high tech projects that have been going on in the last six to eight months compared to you know the previous year, but just constant little maintenance tasks. Yep. So what's what's been occupying most of your time? Well, right now it's you know it's budget planning season, so you've been seeing uh, quite a few quotes coming your way from <laughs> other units. So uh, I go out and I research and. And discover these new technologies and bring them in and hopefully uh we'll see them in july we do product demonstrations yeah, with <laughs> yeah. 
Some go better than others. <laughs> Some go better than. Yeah. How'd your meeting with the school district go the other day? Oh, that was good. Um, re- you know, really good product. Um, it was uh, uh, Eric Lamoureux, who's the their safety coordinator. I'm not sure of his exact title. Um, I think it su- changes. Yeah. <laughs> Superintendent Curtis was on the call. Um, Officer Derby was on the call for a little while from his MDT, um, but we were just looking at some, um, you know, the safety uh, enhancements for the school buildings and, you know, whether or not the school department decides to go in that direction or, uh, you know, take the project on themselves is to be determined. Um, but, you know, always looking at, you know, safety planning, uh, emergency response plans, their working documents it's never done you know it's always um something new to um examine see if it can be improved um and uh you know in some cases catch up so all right so it is 9:29 in the morning and i think this is probably a good time to take a station break another check of the weather some psas then we'll come back and we'll get into some some more recent occurrences in the department and in the city. WTBR radar weather for the Pittsfield area. Today, cloudy. Snow showers likely this morning, then a chance of rain or snow showers this afternoon. Snow accumulation around 10 inch. Highs in the upper 30s. South wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Chance of precipitation 70%. Tonight, mostly cloudy in the evening, then becoming partly cloudy. Cold with lows around 20. West wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Saturday, mostly sunny. Cold with highs in the lower 30s. West wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts up to 25 miles per hour. Weather forecasts for WTBRFM are provided by the National Weather Service. Support for WTBR comes from Greylock Federal Credit Union. Proud to support high school arts and sports programs to help our community thrive. Greylock Federal Credit Union with locations throughout the Berkshires and online at greylock.org. And from BeFair, one of the largest premier human service agencies in Berkshire County. If you're looking for services for a loved one or are interested in caring for the people they support, visit BeFair.org today for available opportunities. PCTV and WTBR are committed to serving our community in this difficult time. We will bring you live coverage of press conferences and official statements from our government officials on PCTV CityLink Channel 1303, on the Pittsfield Community Television Facebook page, and on WTBR as they happen and as we are able to do so. Please stay tuned to our channels and our social media for updates on press conferences and other important information pertaining to the ongoing pandemic. Hi, this is Officer Darren Derby with the Pittsfield Police Department. We all have busy lives and we're in a hurry to get where we need to go. While driving, people are eating, drinking, talking, putting on makeup, doing their hair, checking social media, texting each other, all while the dog sits on their lap. The result is running red lights, stop signs, speeding, and finally crashing. Distracted driving is illegal. You can be ticketed or criminally charged. Please share the road and pay attention. Let's make sure everyone gets where they're going safely. This message is brought to you by the Pittsfield Police Department in cooperation with WTBR-FM. 
All right, we're back again. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM, Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. Uh, today is February 5th, 2021, and uh, we're in studio. I'm joined by Lieutenant Gary Traversa. Good morning. Good morning. And Mr. Gary Munn. Good morning. And uh, so we, we did the public health update, and we kind of you know just caught talked about the county and and why things work the way they do as well as they do i mean there's always room for improvement but um we've had some really good successes on the public health side um so i think i mentioned it last week i had a i had a chief's meeting earlier in the week and three new police chiefs joining the county chief's meeting yeah um, all, all all in their first meeting and one more chief's vacancy scheduled to be filled and i've been you know i've been i'm in my 13th year as the chief um or just finished my 13th year as the chief and my 14th year as the chief i've been met a member of berkshire chiefs association or BLAC, berkshire law enforcement council for in that entire time i've been the president for I, I don't know how many years now you know half of that time maybe and uh I, i've never seen that that much turnover in that shorter period of time in the organization um you know williamstown interim chief great barrington new chief adams new chief dalton just finished the select uh, assessment center and uh select board interviews are scheduled for next week um lots of changes lots so, of changes so you um you mentioned the the turnover but you, you also mentioned since I've been the chief, which is 13 years. Do you, have you ever researched the longest-serving Pittsfield chief? Uh, I have not researched the longest-serving Pittsfield chief. I don't, think, um, I don't think I'm there yet because Chief Stankiewicz and Chief Colleen both had long, long 10 years. Um, you know, we've, we haven't, we've never discussed this on the show. Prior... To my taking command of the department in 2007, we had um, Chief Riello, who was at that time the longest serving permanent chief in, in decades. His immediate predecessor was Chief Lee. Prior to that, our department went years with a series of interim chiefs or captains in charge. Yeah. Um, it, a long time. I, I, I mean, I was a kid, but I don't remember. We had, um, we had, constant churn and turnover and it was weird because the the incumbent chiefs the the interim chiefs they didn't then leave the department they went they were the chief or the acting or the interim and then they went back to their job so then they were working for people they had supervised right um it, it you know and and with the change in the administration when i had to go through the assessment center and and compete again in um when was that 2000 2008 2009 no 2019 um i don't know 2016 uh we could have that could have happened again right there was a there was a possibility that somebody else could have topped out on that assessment center and i would have gone back to being a captain i don't know 2017 2017 yeah and to tell you the truth uh, I'd have been okay with that. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I, I was talking to somebody recently. I tell this story when I, I teach supervisory groups. And I was talking to somebody recently, and it came up. Um, I've had 
you know, I've had a lot of great days as, as, as the chief of police. I get to do a lot of amazing things, uh, participate in a lot of amazing events and activities. But I've also had some, some difficult days, right? You've got to roll out on some horrible scenes, um, you know, trauma in the community, trauma within our ranks. And, and so you take the good with the bad. But there, there's also been days that have just been personally impactful. And there is no question that one of the hardest days for me professionally as the chief was the day after a difficult conversation with you and now Captain Kirchner and then Lieutenant Winston, uh, I had to take my call-out bag out, out of my cruiser, right? I, mm. My schedule had gotten complicated. I was, attending, I, was atten- I was attending training as often as I could with the team. But I wasn't meeting the the frequency of what we require for proficiency and, and demonstrating qualifications, and we had a call out, and I rolled out just like I had for my entire career, and uh, I, I think I'm, I think Matt was an officer at the time, and he stopped me at the perimeter and he's like, "You can't operate, you haven't, and, you know." Good on him, right? Good yeah. on him for stepping up, but um. You know that was that was the year. It was the second year that we had the uh, the plaque ceremonies, right? And take the right. take the identifier off of the ops board and put it on the plaque. Yeah, that was a tough night. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yep. it is what it is, right? Right. All right. So, earlier this week uh, on Monday afternoon, Mayor Tyre delivered her State of the City address. First ever virtual, and in the State of the City Address, which I got to see most of before it was interrupted by operations, um, she shared something that I had been reluctant to share because I didn't want to, you know, I want to jinx it. But she shared that the number one capital priority for the city of Pittsfield in the upcoming budget year is our new police facility. Number one project at the top of the list, and so you know, I'm too nervous to be hopeful. That that is that is not a short term project. You know, we we have put a five year timeline on it from the minute we actually get get some type of movement on it. So we won't see it, we won't see it in the next couple of years, but it's moving in the right direction. And I can share that while I was on leave. Over the holidays, one of the meetings that um, I, I agreed to take, one of the meetings I took was with the mayor's office, the city's office of community development, who has now been tasked with working through that with us, uh, some outside entities who have an interest in some of the, the parcels that had been previously identified and an interest in, in helping us move this project forward in, in, in some way. And as a result of that, Comdev and some of our, our other entities have been put in touch with our design consultants. And so tying all of that in together, um, we're more likely than not going to redo the feasibility study. I'm going to freshen that up. It's been over five years and uh, identify some additional parcels because some of the ones that we identified the first time through are no longer available or have been uh, purposed for something else. So more to come on that, but that that's the most positive forward movement we've seen on this in five years. So I'm tentatively hopeful. I um I know we've you know we've 
touched on the station many times during the show and it's just another example this week i was walking through the building with a vendor and they just you know their their reactions are like <laughs> wow you really work out of this place you know and it, and it's uh we <laughs> so I mean, we've talked about it, and it, it's going to sound like we're just complaining and whining, and that's yeah. not the intention. No. Right? But so I overheard a story yesterday. As a matter of fact, we have staff members, you know, support staff members, non-sworn staff members, so don't wear uniforms, and we have several staff members who are, you know, very fashionable, and and one of our staff members shared with the colleague that they were questioned coming into the building by an officer on why they would bother, you know, to to dress so well. When they have to work in that environment. <laughs> and I was like, well, look, he's not raw. Right? <laughs> I mean, I get why you do it, and we appreciate your professionalism, but, you know, it's, well, you know, Fridays we generally try, you know, we dress down in the command suite anyway, but you never know, right? It's easy for a police officer. We have a locker. I have a closet, right? If something comes up, I'll just go to my closet. I'll put on BDUs and go do it, right? We have to send an op staff or support staff over to 2nd Street, we may as well give them coveralls. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, yeah. uh, we, you know, we talked about the inventory project we were doing um, over the last few weeks, and um, what we were as a part of that. We did, we redid some of the organization down in the radio room, and you know, we we um, did the inventory and clean it up. And I, I, I think you were downstairs with yeah. Captain Kircher and I as we were. You know, just kind of reviewing what we had and, you know, the the placement of the room. And then we just kind of looked up at the pipes <laughs> that are coming out of the ceiling. And we were just laughing. Like, you know, it wouldn't take much um, with the amount of money there is. But we just we're out of room for storage, you know, and that's that's our only option. Well, so we always say we're out of room for storage, right? And then we reconfigure or we repurpose something. So one, when I, shortly after I took over the department, we were still dealing with some of the, the Homeland Security issues that had started you know, after September 11, 2001. And we had kind of gotten some stuff in place. And then those things had fallen by the wayside. And then something else happened. I don't even remember what the event was. And so we, we were dealing with mail security. And so, you know, Gary, you weren't even with us yet, and it's a it's kind of like an inside joke now. We talk about the mail room, so I had to make a decision. It it caused great consternation. So there's a storage space, an op space, or an admin space, and I said, everybody who's got your garbage in there, go get it out. I need that room. And so traffic had to take a bunch of stuff out of there. Gun locks had to come out of there. I don't remember. Um, and so we designated the mail room because we needed a place for when the mail came in the building it would go and would be isolated and you know we could do what we needed to do to, for force protection at that point and then whatever our concern was kind of trailed off and and we went back to routine operations and then the mail room just got repurposed as a junk room again right it, it it's just a catch-all and you know it's like I don't know that every family has it, but I'm sure most families have like the junk drawer. Oh yeah, right. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you don't know where it goes, it goes in the junk drawer, and then you can never find it. And you know, like, then you got to go junk, empty out the junk drawer. That mail room is like the department's junk drawer. Um, but we haven't talked about this. Uh, so Pittsfield Police Headquarters, 39 Allen Street. You know, ancient building, historic building, done as a 
as a like federal New Deal project during uh, during the New Deal kind of uh, civilian conservation corps era, right? Coming out of the Depression, and this you know we can talk about the 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 interesting backstory of our facility and 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 how it was funded and how it was planned and how it was scheduled and the death of the architect and the burglary that was committed to steal the plans from the architect is just you know <laughs> it's steeped in history um but that's a that's a story for another day um our facility when it was constructed had a pistol firing range in the basement we have a range um and then I don't even remember. What, so the the range got shut down when I was a firearms instructor. It had to we had to have it abated because there was too much lead in there. They abated it. They remediated it. We used it for a couple more years. Then it got shut down again for ventilation. And then after I took command of the department, it was shut down for ventilation. And then they came back and they found out it was it was loaded with asbestos. So then they had to go in and do an asbestos abatement project. So they go in and they abate the asbestos and clean up whatever remaining lead and they seal the range up. And there's no way at that point in time that we can use that space as a firing range. It's just done as a firing range. It's a fairly sizable space. Um, We'd had flooding issues in there. There was stuff coming in from the back. When they paved the back parking lot between us and the Anoda building, they changed the grade. When they changed that grade, our foundation was cracked and all the water from that parking lot was coming in to the range. So I don't know, this was what, three years ago, four years ago. Yeah. Uh, I, I had, I directed Captain Mullen. I was like, we need to better utilize that space. And we had units that, you know, again, you know, junk drawer thing, stuff was overflowing. And so we actually had um, a fence company come in and install floor-to-ceiling fences with locking gates so that we could section them off. Uh, the biggest one was assigned to crime scene for for evidence and property storage. But um, you'll remember this. So if for our listeners and viewers, you may not think of it, what's the big deal, right? But one of the most difficult things for our crime scene investigators to do to maintain their health and safety prior to the creation of this space was properly hang and dry biologically contaminated evidence. And prior to the creation of these locking spaces, essentially what they would do is they would go to the same space that they're using now, but they would put the evidence on their hangers and then they would just lock the door to the range. So the whole rest of the space was unavailable until they were done processing that evidence. Um, and these are the the little like micro transitions that we have to make to be to be able to continue to provide operations so you know crime scene and evidence has the biggest space down there community outreach has a space down there Uh, uh, patrol operations and traffic has a space down there command has a space down there but that when you think about it in hindsight the fact that we had to take this large space and then essentially fence it off in our own basement to reclaim some space because we're running out of space those are pretty extreme band-aids to to just maintain normal operations. Yeah, you're basically making closets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or big junk drawers. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um I've been talking a lot. Gary, what else has been going on? Uh let's see. We have uh I don't know. A little, you don't a little know. bit of everything. <laughs> 
You participated in our supervisory roundtable this week. I did. There wasn't a lot of non-operational stuff in that meeting. No, no, it was uh, it was pretty well police focused. But it, you know what it is? It's it's a lot of little stuff that you're you're dealing with on a day in and day out basis. You know, um, we we have so many. Um, you know, obviously we have the hardware, all the computers and laptops and um, tablets that make the 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 station go around and you so know, day-to-day business. You know, the best part about my job is I'm integrated with City Hall with uh, my team there. So my boss, my, the director, Mike Stebbin, he handles the infrastructure. So that leads me to focus on that building, um, the cruisers, uh, the computers. I don't have to worry about the Wi-Fi or the servers. Um, you know, so that frees me up for going out finding new technology, uh, stuff that you guys don't have the time for. I can set up the demos. Hey, check out what I found. You know, a good example is the um, vehicle forensics kit. Found that two years ago. It, it took a year to get, but we finally got it, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's been paying off. So it's, you know, I'm I'm quite happy with that one, and. Uh, you know what we haven't talked about? I, when we were preparing the annual report, I looked back and I was like, oh, my God, we, comp- we lost a whole year on that. We've got to go do the um, camera registration. Yep. You call that scram? Yep. <laughs> we we got to get the camera registration back on the top of the priority list. That's a goal for 2021. Yeah, it, it, you know, that was that was a goal for last year. And then, you know, the pandemic hit. And But, uh, yeah, I'd like to get that going again. Get that up and running. But I think the um, the I, I guess it is for lack of a better term teasing out what is going to work for us and what isn't when because we get I mean, chief I'm sure you get more than I do but tons of emails from you know vendors and you know like everybody gets on their email at home for you know places they've done business with our emails somehow you know are magnets for you know businesses, organizations, um, companies that have some interest or, or product that would be appropriate for, for law enforcement. So we get, and some of it's good stuff, but it's not always easy to, to, to right. figure out what's going to work for us yep. and what's appropriate. And that's something that you're very helpful with. And I don't, I don't want this to sound like an attack on people who work in sales. Cause that's not my intention. It's just, you know, a, a personal frustration of mine. So, you know, in my in my role, if I go to training, and the training is sponsored by a, a commercial vendor, Carfax is a great example. They they sponsor a lot of law enforcement training. That provider, that that sponsor, is going to get my contact information when I sign up for that training. If I go to a conference and I, you know, scan my card or scan my ID at a vendor booth, they get my contact information. <laughs> I, I've learned to live with those. The ones that irritate me to no end is when somebody retires from law enforcement and they take their contact list with them. <laughs> and, and it happens all the time, right? I, I just got one yesterday. And uh, so they take their contact list with them and then they have my contact information. And some of these people are my friends. That's fine. But we had to put a protocol in place in the office several years ago. If you're a police product vendor and you call my office... 
and a member of my staff didn't reach out for you first, Maggie won't take the message. We don't take cold calls. Yep. Right? If yeah. we didn't reach out to you and express an interest, we're not talking to you. Um, it, because it, we get inundated, right? Inundated. Yep. And then, you know, well, you and I have this one. So sometimes I'll find a, a, a product or a vendor through that process, and then I'm interested in it. But I'm not, I don't work operations, right? I don't work communications. I'm not going to demo that product. So I'll contact the vendor and say, you know, chief of the Pittsburgh Police Department, Western Massachusetts, saw your product, we're interested in it. Contact this person from my staff. They're our point of contact. And then many of those people just, you know, again, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, lack of humility, ego, once they have me, they don't want to deal with anybody else. And so I've, I've dropped two product tests because they wouldn't communicate with you. Yeah. Right? I told you last time, don't contact me about this until we're going to sign the contract. I have a staff for this. And they keep sending me the emails. They get blocked. We're done. <laughs> yep, yep. So, all right. Um, we have a few minutes left. I was trying to think on the way in here. We obviously wanted to do the public health update, and I wanted to talk about the new station. But uh, so we have been sitting on a written directive um for a little while now and we weren't sitting on it because of any reluctance around it we just we wanted to make sure that we did our due diligence this uh, uh, sample of this directive was shared with us from another police department i think we got it in june that initiated an internal conversation that ultimately ended up with our call for service uh reduction strategy which is ongoing and working um taking a, a hard look at things that we've done historically that you know Maybe maybe we should do differently, or maybe we shouldn't do it all. And so I wanted to make sure that this particular directive was thoroughly vetted by our command staff and our supervisors before we hold the pin, because I didn't want there to be any preventable unintended consequences. And so I dusted it off this week and sent it back out to the command for further review. Most, uh, most of the command was on board from the very get-go, but we had to do the call for service stuff you were doing with dispatch to make this work without a problem for us and so this week we included it with the command and the supervisors got very little supervisory response back um i think two um but sent it out again yesterday for final thoughts you had uh, one editor one language correction i think and uh, so we're going to we're going to implement that one probably going to issue it later today and um Essentially, what this is, is a formal, written acknowledgement that the Pittsfield Police Department, well, we are concerned about suspicious activity that may indicate potential criminal behavior. Suspicious activity. Somebody is doing something. I just I listened to one on the ride in here this morning. Um, party approached somebody, asked them for money. The person said no. And then the, the reporting party, the person who had been asked for money, observed that party, then go to a neighboring house, and they don't live there, right? That's suspicious activity. It's about the interaction between the calling party and the, what they, they observed. This person went to my neighbor's house. That's not about a suspicious person, right? And so we are, well, we remain concerned about suspicious activity, and we will continue to investigate suspicious activity. We are no longer going to respond to calls for suspicious persons. Um, dispatch is, is going to be given some, some go-bys and a script on follow-up questions if somebody calls in. But we've spent a lot of, a lot of time 
and a lot of energy and a lot of effort in the last several years doing our internal work on fair and impartial policing, procedural justice, recognizing uh, implicit bias, making decisions to avoid any of our implicit biases. And what we have realized is that we are subject and victim to what I'm describing. Uh, the, the expression was used from one of my instructors, transfer of bias. We can't insulate ourselves if a caller, a reporting party, has implicit bias and they haven't done the work and they're not recognizing it. If they are calling for police services because they're uncomfortable with what somebody looks like um, and then they make that call and historically we would go. And the reality is that the 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 risk to the subject that we're responding to and the risk to the officer in the department is isolated to those those two factors. The caller experiences no risk. Right. And so um, we had to we had to work it out. We had to kind of clean it up a little bit. But. We remain focused and concerned about suspicious activity. We don't care about what somebody thinks is a suspicious person. If if somebody calls us because there's a stranger in their neighborhood and they can't tell us what that stranger is doing to elicit a police response, that's a no-go. <laughs> right. fact of the matter is we, we can't inject ourselves into... Um, a situation where it just because somebody's somewhere that maybe they normally wouldn't have been or they're, 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 the neighborhood is not, um, it, you know, they're unfamiliar to the neighborhood. It, we, we don't we're not going to inject ourselves and we can't inject our be injected on somebody else's behalf. We're we're delicately dancing around this issue. The reality is that if somebody calls the police department because they see somebody in their neighborhood that doesn't look like them, that's not a police matter. And going forward, it won't be a Pittsfield police matter. Right. Um, all right. So more to come on that after we get that order out. We got a couple minutes left. Um, big stuff going on. I gotta. I have to give a particular shout out on this one. So. Uh, Cultural Pittsfield Newsletter, next Tuesday, next Tuesday at 7 p.m., Ollie, the uh, Lifelong Learning Institute out of BCC, is hosting a discussion with Ethan Zuckerman. And the reason I'm so excited about this is Ethan is a classmate of mine. And that, you know, that's, that's great. But Ethan is like one of the founders of what we consider to be the current Internet. He was a principal in Tripod when Tripod was founded, and then Tripod was eventually sold off to Google. And and he is a researcher in like he he hosts a podcast um, called Reimagining the Internet, where the leading question is, what's wrong with the internet and how do we fix it? And so if you if you're at all interested in in how the internet has grown and changed and morphed and been monetized, um, by all means check that out because. He is the founder of the Institute for Digital Public Infrastructure, and he's doing this local presentation next Friday. And so you can check out the Cultural Pittsfield newsletter. There's 10 by 10 is coming up. Um, Word Festival is coming up. There's all kinds of cool things going on. So again, with the nine seconds we have left, thanks for tuning in to another new episode of On Patrol with the PPD here on WTVR 89.7 FM. Pittsfield Community Radio, simulcast on Pittsfield Community Television. 
Until next week, be well, be healthy, be kind. We're 10-8.